Whew, the man of tomorrow is here. Ah, a little late in the week because uh, <laughs> the man who cannot get sick, the mutant. Um, and, and I'm not kidding about that. <laughs> like, I do think I technically classify. I mean, I guess we're all individuals, so who doesn't classify as a mutant? But I do think I technically classify as a mutant uh, because my regular body temperature is more over four degrees less than the average human being. And, uh, I've had this, uh, uh, I've, I've had friends in the medical field who have looked into this and they basically suggest that, uh, I'm a little bit of a medical marvel in that bacteria really can't live inside me very well because, uh, my temperature is not hot enough for what, you know, because the way we've evolved, right. If you take, for example, the red queen theory is that we are in a constant arms race with bacteria and, uh, and viruses and other things. Um, and well, anyway, this is how reproductive cycles, uh, you know, become a evolve into a thing and so on, but most bacteria and, and whatever else, uh, you know, they, they thrive in the average, uh, or perhaps slightly hotter, uh, temperatures that, th that the average human body has, but I am, <laughs> I'm quite the opposite, quite the opposite. And four degrees is a massive difference, uh, when it comes to, you know, this sort of thing. Uh, it's not like, oh yeah, my, well, I'm, you know, my average body temperature is only 98.2 instead of 98.6 or seven. Uh, I mean that, that's certainly a difference, but when it, your average body temperature is around 94 degrees, um, well, anyway, that causes a difference. So I almost never get sick, but I got, I got pretty sick. <laughs> this, you know, I mean, mentally I'm always that, but uh, I got pretty sick this week and actually Ellen ended up getting kind of sick too. She was going to be on this Q and a, uh, I was going to record it earlier in the week, but then, I mean, I just couldn't, like, I couldn't really talk and, you know, was blowing my nose constantly or anything. If you hear me sniffle a little bit during this one, uh, it's still getting over it a, a little bit. But, uh, but Ellen's not feeling uh, top notch right now, uh, either. So she won't be on this, uh, but we do plan, uh, on still having her on the main Sovereign Tech episode. I'm so glad to hear, uh, got so much great response from Ellen being on the past couple weeks. In fact, wow. Uh, the last episode that we did was at 358, uh, got some great, great comments, uh, on that one, people bolstering what, frankly, I was not that I'm never concerned. I don't care. I'll say whatever the fuck I want. Uh, but I was worried that it would, re and, and maybe I'll still get emails where it does turn people off, but the episode, it was titled the 16 hour work week, where we were talking about, you know, how, look, a lot of this technology hasn't really saved us time and how work hasn't really, you know, improved all, all that kind of crap that we were talking about. Right. Uh, had some sovereign tech listeners do some tremendous research that I think is so important. I'm not going to read it here, but I want to read it on the next episode. Uh, because it bolsters a lot of what Ellen and I were, were saying. And of course we were, you know, basing what we were saying, uh, in part off of what Buckminster Fuller and Bertrand Russell, uh, had to say both, you know, incredible minds, certainly of the 20th century. So, uh, I appreciate anytime, you know, anytime sovereign tech listeners want to do some kind of like, you know, little independent research and share it with me, uh, just like you share stories with me. I mean, by all means, and I am happy to read it on the air. Let me know if you want me to mention your name. I'm happy to do that. I mean, you know, I, well, all right, I'm not going to go down that, but I'm just happy to mention your name. Let, let's just, let's just say that I've had, I mean, it's not, <laughs> I used to be a little skittish, not to mention a name, but like if somebody had a website or something that they wanted me to mention, um, I would be a little skittish about doing that. And I mean, not, not just because if you want to be anonymous, I want to keep you anonymous, but also 
you especially man like like 2016 2017 especially the amount of blockchain companies that were like that would email the show and and I know they weren't like diehard listeners. Some diehard listeners would recommend, you know, and ask me, like they'd ask me to talk about library. Well, I didn't have anything good to say. So I'm kind of happy to actually talk about it because, you know, to trash on it. But <laughs> or I didn't have a whole lot of good to say, I should say. But, um, you know, I would have blockchain companies say, hey, love the show. It's like, have you looked into such and such? And I knew that it was just a way of trying to get free marketing. And look, I have advertisers and I'm very particular in who I advertise and you got to get through my filters. But, you know, if you're willing to put in like a year's worth of advertising in the show, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to, that alone makes me want to take your project a little more seriously because you're willing to put real money down. Okay. And not that my advertising uh, uh, prices are extravagant. They're not. Um, they're based on, well, I mean, th th they have basis, uh, not just on the amount of listeners, but also on valuation, because I've been in the advertising business. I know how this stuff works. Uh, but by in comparison to what I've heard other podcasts, tech podcasts or podcasts in the blockchain space to what they charge, I mean, you know, advertising on Sovereign Tech is a steal for especially for the fact that you're reaching out to, you know, somewhere under 20,000 listeners per week. But. I mean, it's a real steal because I know most blockchain podcasts do not. And no, they don't. They don't have that kind of audience. And I know because I've worked with some of them. And they just, again, they just don't. So um, I say all this. Actually, I don't know why I say all this. But <laughs> oh, right, right. Uh, that, yeah, if you want to, you know, I'm happy to mention your name. If you don't want me to mention your, if you don't tell me you explicitly want me to mention your name or hell, fuck, if you've got a website and I know you're a longtime listener, uh, I'm happy to, to, to name drop it. I really, really am. In fact, we got a great, uh, email we're going to get into, uh, in, or actually it was a DM, uh, got a great DM on Twitter that we're going to get into, uh, from, uh, someone who, you know, I'm also a fan of, and, and I know has been listening to the show and been a supporter of the show for a very long time. So, you know, I'm happy to, happy to do that. But, um, anyway, uh, whew. so one thing I want to read here is actually a, and this was uh, a comment made on the Podbean app. Uh, and I want to read it. I'm probably going to read it in the main show too, because I think it's important information to get out there. Um, and it's of course from my brother, none other than Robin Freebeard, the man. Um, I mean, really folks, <laughs> Uh, I don't, I don't, I really don't say that about a whole lot of people, but he's one where I gladly do. Um, I want to read what he had to say, you know, and I, but before, before I read that, I do want to put out there that I know I have gotten some complaints, uh, about Podbean in general folks. Like I, I get it. Okay. And the day may come where Podbean does something that is just, you know, I just, I can't stand by it. Okay. They haven't really done anything. They actually, they haven't done anything that, that I like, they haven't banned anybody. They haven't, you know, pulled any horseshit where stuff gets filtered because it's adult, you know, I mean, these are all problems that Patreon has had. Um, I, oh boy, we could get into that. Couldn't we? Because a certain somebody got, uh, got their account banned from MailChimp and that's not me. You know who it is. And <laughs> All right, let's talk about it for a second. Let's do it. But before I say it, let me just finish what my comment about Podbean. Podbean 
is so supportive and is, and is constantly coming out with new features. And they are, I mean, really, they are really trying to help podcasters become bigger all the time. Um, they have constant webinars that are genuinely helpful, which I cannot often say, um, you know, to, to like showing podcasters how to monetize their podcasts better, how to use all the features. I mean, they, they are, they are there for you. Okay. Um, now sometimes admittedly their customer service, I'm pretty sure they're getting a, a Bangladeshi special, if you know what I mean with their customer service. So that might not always be on point. And I've heard complaints in the past about that, but as far as like giving you ideas and giving you new, uh, new abilities with your platform and so on, uh, they, they are on and doing far more than any other podcast host that I can think of. Um, so I, I really, I can't complain. And, and I just really appreciate how much they're trying to help podcasters grow. It's in their own interest to do that, of course. And I understand that, but great. Then we have that synergy, uh, you know, that, or that, that, uh, that symbiosis, uh, that, that, that works very well. So yeah, no, I, I really, I get it. I hear some of the complaints and, you know, oh, well, I, you know, I can't import, uh, the, the, um, you know, the underground episodes into my favorite podcast feed and, or podcast app and so on. I understand but just what Podbean allows for, especially for the price, I mean, it, it's a no-brainer on just about any podcaster's end, certainly on mine. So anyway, okay, we, we got that out there. Now let's talk a little bit about something that happened this week. Uh, I'm not 100% certain on all of the details, and frankly, a part of me doesn't exactly care. Um, but yeah, uh, as, as far as I understand it, Stefan Molyneux, there we go. Stefan Molyneux, he, and I was going to talk about this on the main show. Maybe I still will. We'll see. He, um, his, his PayPal got, got, uh, account got suspended. Okay. So that happened. He switched over to some other service. I forget the name of it. I saw it, whatever. Okay. Um, and also his, uh, his MailChimp account, uh, got, got suspended as well. And I was in general, I was just like, yay, good. You know, because I think he's an absolute bigot and I can prove that, um, any, actually anybody can prove that you don't have to look hard to, to, to find it where he is. Um, and, and admittedly, I also have, you know, information that might not be so online that, um, I mean, where he's just come out and said like absolutely racist things, uh, especially about black people. Um, you know, and I'm not the only one that, that heard this stuff. Uh, but anyway, all of that regardless. Okay. Um, you know, I'm just like, all right, whatever. I don't care. You know? And I mean, and, and this is the nature and we have talked about this. Okay. On, or we've talked about this so many times on sovereign tech about how, you know, if you have, and I tweeted about this too, Okay. And there's an irony in using Twitter, but let's just call it. If you have, um, if you use a service, if you look, and if, if you are using basically, let's just call it, well, let's just say it. If you're using YouTube, if you're using also, well, PayPal, if you're using MailChimp, if you're in, Hey, I've used MailChimp, uh, I've used YouTube. I mean, you just, you go down the list. Okay. Whatever Twitter, Facebook, you know, I mean, how many people get deplatformed on those things? You know, you go down it anytime you are using something that is on a server that you do not control. It will eventually be taken away from you. 
Okay. Uh, what, what hell? What even? What got shut down recently? I was going to talk about this on an episode. Um, oh yeah, like I got a. Believe it or not, I mean, and it's just something I, I kind of forgot about. Um, I had subscriptions to magazines on in the Google News uh, app. Okay, like I had Retro Gamer, uh, twenty six hundred magazine, um, and I think I might have had uh, Asimov or Analog. I think it was, uh, you know, the science fiction, and. I suddenly got refunded, you know, like, like, uh, however much it was for all those things. And I'm like, wait, what, why the hell am I getting a refund from, from Google? What the fuck's this? And come to find out Google has canceled all of their digital magazine subscriptions. They just canned them. They've had them for a year, you know, for years and they just canned every single one. Uh, what's the deal behind that? I'm not entirely sure. I have to look into that. But bottom line being is that, well, you know, I thought I was getting access to all this stuff. No, no longer. And I got it. I even got an email from 2600 saying, hey, uh, we realized Google canceled all this. And, you know, just and they basically seem to say it happened without notice. Um, you know, if you'd still like to access our magazines, this is how you can do it. I mean, that fucks 2600, right? Because that's money for me. They're not getting anymore. It wasn't a lot of money. You know, it might have been 12 bucks a year, but you, you, you get my point. And, you know, add that up by so many people and that can turn into a lot of money. Um, it's ironic. I mean, that 2600 magazine would be, you know, through a Google app, but that's not lost on me, but whatever. Okay. So 2600 is losing out on that. Now, fortunately, 2600 is the right thing. And they have where, uh, you know, and they, like I said, they sent out that email and said, hey, if you still want access, guess what? You can buy the latest issue in a DRM free PDF right here good. They had a backup plan right on. Okay. That's, that's, that's the right move. Um, but this is the reality is that you, even if you're paying for these services in some way, which I mean, you know, Molyneux got his, had his YouTube account, uh, suspended for a little while at one point, or for like, maybe it was like for a day or something like that. And everybody's like, Oh, I can't believe Google is doing this. It's like, what? he's not paying them a dime, you know, for, and, and, and to say nothing of again, people really, you, they have zero understanding of the technical marvel and the miracle in the near impossibility that it is that YouTube even exists on, on, by the second every day. It is, there are so many cheats and schemes and, and I don't necessarily mean nefarious ones. I'm just saying that people do not understand just the, the, I mean, Google is probably spending I would argue, okay, right? So I don't want to get lost on all these things, but whatever, let's keep going. I think the reason that Google isn't as hardcore into the game of offering, offering, um, well, similar to what, like AWS, like, I mean, they do offer that to some degree. And of course they have GFs, but the reason they don't offer something like so much, or they're not as competitive and as forceful in the market like Microsoft Azure and Amazon Web Services is, okay? I think it's because the bulk so much, and I'd love to see the numbers, we'll probably never really know, okay? We know the bandwidth, but we don't really know how much of their uh, of their business, you know, model and server farms they're dedicating to this. What it takes to operate YouTube probably has Google's server farms running at hundred percent capacity at all times. They cannot afford without turning probably some entire country, at least into a server farm somewhere. Uh, they cannot afford to offer competitive services to what Amazon and what Microsoft offers in that space. They can't, 
that, I mean, I'm being, it's kind of a theory of mine, but I do know just how hard it is to run YouTube and, and to do video over the internet in general. This is one of the biggest technical problems on the planet. And an honest engineer will absolutely tell you as much just how fucking hard this is and how much they're cheating with all, you know, whatever, uh, uh, um, you know, whatever protocol, uh, they happen to be using or special codecs for, for compression. You know, I mean, they, they, they are, they, oh man, they are pulling stunts and nobody knows. And everybody absolutely takes it for granted. Um, they, they just, they have, they have no idea what that, you know, what it takes to, to really do that. Uh, and so basically, <laughs> you know, if, a, if Google wants, if YouTube, which is supposedly a separate company, you know, under, under alphabet, no, it's not, but you get my point. If YouTube wants to, you know, suspend somebody, it ain't no skin off their back. If anything, it's a breather. It's a sigh of relief. All right. But then also YouTube owes you nothing. It doesn't matter how much money YouTube makes off of the ads. If you have a popular video, all of that is inconsequential in comparison because YouTube probably for its entire existence, again, unless some kind of hell, I wouldn't be surprised if Google's entire interest in quantum computing has nothing to do with solving problems, but has to do with creating a, you know, a, 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 a post singularity video codec that could somehow make YouTube worthwhile. YouTube will be a loss leader forever under present conditions. And those conditions have not improved in 20 years. Or, well, YouTube hasn't really been around that long, but for as long as YouTube's been around. People have no, I, you have no clue. Look at the numbers of what YouTube does per minute and you will, your, your jaw should just go slack. And again, you'll realize just, just how remarkable, and I don't mean that necessarily in a good way, because I think it's crazy, but it's remarkable how, how that operates. YouTube owes you nothing. Okay. It's amazing that YouTube operates on, again, on a by second basis. It is amazing. So anyway, all of this is to say, yeah, people complain. Oh, I can't believe they did this. No, you're not even paying for YouTube. Who gives a, I mean, even if you're paying for YouTube premium, that's completely different than the entire process of uploading videos and all this crap that you pay nothing for. No one does. And you you have no complaints. To, to, to be made. I mean, you could, you can cry about it. Sure. But like YouTube doesn't have to do jack shit about this matter. Um, this is the nature of centralized services. Same with MailChimp. MailChimp is completely free. Even if you were paying for the extra customer service, you know, uh, still for a lot, I, I mean, you got to You got to understand my point here. Okay. Now where the real problem came in for me with this is that suddenly Tom Jackass Woods comes out and, 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 and responds to MailChimp's tweet about Molyneux's account being suspended and says, oh, get ready for the mob to come for you. You might want to back up your MailChimp stuff. And he gets, I don't know, however many hundreds of hearts, and I'm sure he posted this on Facebook and there's plenty of idiots there. Sorry, I, I got to stop calling everybody idiots. I mean, they are. Well, yeah, I, sorry, I got to stop that. So he, you know, he posts about this and I'm just like, wait, wait, wait wait, I've been telling people that same crap without necessity of, of some, you know, some racist, you know, some bigot, some moron getting banned from MailChimp. I've been warning about this forever, but oh, now they just finally take it seriously.
I, I was livid. And look, I've met Tom Woods, okay? Like, he's not a tech-savvy guy. Why the hell are you taking tech advice from him? I mean, am I jealous? No, I'm not jealous at all. I just don't understand why it takes, I mean, if the if there's some kind of appeal to authority, and maybe you appreciate Tom Woods because of, uh, you know, his knowledge base or something like that, this is not his knowledge base. And yet there are people who have specifically, like myself, who have specifically been warning for a very long time through libertarian channels, hey, motherfuckers, guess what? You know, any of these services will eventually be taken away from you. And we don't have to, you know, it's just, a, it's a matter of time, especially if you think you're speaking some kind of truth to power. And I'm not saying Molyneux ever does. Maybe he did. I mean, he certainly did over a decade ago, but I'll admit to that. But now, oh no, he's just, I mean, he's been off his rocker for years. But, you know, somehow this gets all, you know, suddenly it gets the attention. When you have plenty of people warning you well ahead of time of these things happening and no one, no one seems to listen or care to share the message that that's what's going on. Some of you do. Like, I've, we've seen it, right? We've read it on Sovereign Tech even recently. There are great listeners out there who are getting on Hacker News and on other sites and saying, hey, can't we just develop this stuff localized instead of having be, you know, instead of having it operate on a server somewhere? Because I have privacy concerns and functionality concerns. And, and I think we're really missing an opportunity here for all this stuff to be uh, done client side or, you know, as local data or as local operation. And I'm, I, you know, Satan bless you for doing that. I love you. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I love you for putting out there. And I'm not saying you learned it from me. You might've learned it on your own, but it's certainly a message we've been pushing. You recognize it's a message, a message that we've been pushing and I'm glad you're pushing it too. It's preposterous though, that it takes a guy who has no place even talking about this stuff as far as, uh, you know, knowledge base goes. And that's when suddenly libertarians start listening. Drives me nuts. That part drives me nuts. Not jealous at all. It just, it doesn't speak well of people when it takes this, when all the warning signs have been there forever and, and, and it's not until it actually happens to somebody when, uh, I mean, doesn't that speak against like, like, don't you want to know more? Don't you gather knowledge so that you know how to face things or either a, it's so you can avoid a trap, right? The first step in avoiding, in avoiding a trap is knowing of its existence. Well, guess what? We've known of this existence. We've known that this would happen, that this can happen sooner or later, years before it happened. But that's, and, and maybe that's the part that rubs me, you know, rubs me raw uh, the most is that, again, we know, we know this is going to happen. Why did it take until it happened for you to take it seriously? That defeats the entire purpose of Anything I'm trying to do by telling you people about this sort of thing, it defeats the purpose of trying to collate knowledge and put it together into a place so that you can act. I mean, isn't this what, isn't this like what Bitcoin people are, are why they, they bother to, or part of why they bother to invest in Bitcoin is because they know that eventually the economic system as it stands today is going to collapse, or they very least believe that and have very good evidence to suggest such. I don't think they're wrong. I think that's a very smart and wonderful and great thing to do. But then why don't you apply that same logic don't you love that word? Logic, right? This isn't emotional responses. This is logic. We see what happens when you speak out in a way that is antithetical to the system that exists. You will get your service shut down. You will get filtered out. You will get whatever the fuck will happen to you. And I just cannot grasp how this was a surprise to the audience of Tom Woods, but it clearly was. It doesn't make any fucking sense.
So anyway, I mean, folks, this is what's going to happen. You know, I was just talking about Podbean. Yeah, Podbean is also in in effect. I mean, these are servers I don't have control over. Fortunately, I can keep all of this data. Do I have a backup ready to go? Do I have my own little server that might need to push my podcast independently if it comes to that? You bet your goddamn ass I do. And I've, I've always told you that. And I've said, and I will stand by it, that if, you know, we got away from Patreon because it just, it, it was getting, that was far too, to put it mildly, uncomfortable a situation, okay, for me to to want to deal with. Far too uncomfortable because it was just, it looked like it was just a matter of time before they shut down anybody, all right? And that, that, and that I mean, it's shitty. So got away from that. And I said, if Podbean does not, it ever doesn't work out, okay, then I will completely walk away, you know, from, from all that, from any, any podcast hosting service, and I will host it independently, and I will do that. And I am ready at the drop of a hat if after I post the show, somehow Podbean says, oh, Stallion, you're done. In a matter of a few minutes, I will be getting, you know, either through, ironically, an email list on MailChimp or, you know, or however, I will be getting it out to you and I will make sure other people know and get it out to you, uh, you know, that, that here's the new RSS feed. This is the independent RSS feed. Have a good day. You know, and Sovereign Tech rolls on. Zomio 1 just keeps on. The signal will not be stopped, baby. I make sure of that. If I got to torrent the fucking shit, I will torrent it. So anyway, um, <laughs> let me read, speaking of Podbean, let me read the comment that I was going to read before we got onto that little side tirade, but, uh, but that was important to talk about. I, no, I, I mean, it kills me, you know, because, and I, I want to get this out right now. And I said this in my tweet, I said, or as, as briefly as I, you know, with as much brevity as I could. Um, I mean, I, I have all the emails I get called everything from a communist to anti-market to an extremist. Like, oh, it's so extreme to tell people that maybe you don't want to rely upon a server that you don't control. Wow. That is, that's fucking extreme. How are we going to make any money that way? Oh, right. Right. There's the rub. There's the rub. It ain't about freedom. It ain't about having control, individual control. You know, it's not about any of that. It's about money. Opportunism. That's, ah, there, see, that's the secret. That's the secret, isn't it? I am totally fine with markets. I am absolutely a freed marketeer, okay? I am so on board with all that stuff, and it, 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 it boggles my mind that I get accused of being things that would stand in contrast to that simply because I am, I recommend to people and warn people that these services will cut you out. Do not rely upon them. Eventually they, you know, the the curtain is going to come down on you. And when it does, oh, then you listen. But when this whole time you could have been preparing for, yeah, sooner or later, this is going to go down. So I need to be ready for that and have my backup in place. And yet you don't, or you don't take it seriously, or you don't step up and, and, and offer to, I mean, I, I've had, and I know, I, I know I said, I want to move on from this. We will. Okay. Cause I got a long email I want to get into and it's a good one. Um, 
I've had people, in fact, someone I'm going to read the, the email from, I don't think he'll mind me mentioning this, but I've had people, and he's not the only one, but I've had other people who, you know, when they got tired of Patreon, they're like, look, just how can I support you? Let me just, you know, I can't stand behind this. And maybe they're even afraid that I would end up getting cut off of Patreon. That's still, I'm still technically on Patreon and that hasn't happened to date, but regardless, you know, they're, they're worried about that and they're offering, Hey, I, I want to be able to give you money. And so I put motions, you know, th- there's, I don't call again, all about freed markets. I don't call myself a capitalist by any means, but I've certainly had listeners tell me in the past that I do capitalism better than capitalists do. Well, here's, here's an old capitalist adage. Okay. And that is when somebody is offering you money, you don't wait around. You don't take time. You don't hem and haw. You take it. You, when it's offered to you, you take it. And so when people were saying, Hey, yeah, we can't do Patreon anymore, but I want to give you money. I immediately moved into action. And that's why we ended up on Podbean. immediately moved into action to make sure that there's a way for you to get value out of the value you give to me, which is how it works. Anyone who doesn't do the same, well, I'll say it here is a shitty ass capitalist. You suck at capitalism if you are not preparing for the worst in your business. And that's exactly what's happening with, well, what happened with MailChimp, all of it. So let's move on, shall we? (laughs) Really, let's move on. Uh, here we go. Um, this has to do with this. I think this is episode 357, the first episode that, uh, that Ellen and I had done recently together. Um, and that, uh, Rob, this is from, of course, Robin Freebeard, my man. And, um, I want to read it here and get it out there, but you can see it. It's available to the public. You can see it as a comment on the episode. If you go to zomi1.com or if you have the Podbean app, you can find it right on the episode and you can read it for yourself, but I want to make sure it gets out in some audio. Uh, because I think it's important information. And also I'm honored by what else, by what else he had to say. Uh, Hey brother, here we go. Hey brother, love that you two are doing uh, more episodes together. Uh, and of course means Ellen and I, and thank you for that. But actually that, that meant a whole lot to Ellen as well. Uh, so anyway, let, let, let's keep reading just a couple of things I wanted to mention. I know it was just a quick and respectful aside during the segment on banning porn, but it is a common misconception that asexuality is just people who don't like sex. Sex repulsed asexuals do exist, but equally valid are the many asexuals who do engage in and even enjoy sex, masturbation, and porn. Uh, the strictest definition of asexuality is people who do not experience sexual attraction. And as with all forms of human sexuality, it exists on a spectrum. You also have demisexuals who only experience sexual attraction to people they formed a strong emotional bond with. Anyway, just wanted to clarify that for anyone who may have thought that asexuality is inherently sex negative. Um, so I want to stop on that. There's a little more, but I want to stop on that again. I might read this on a Simon tech prime episode as well with, with Ellen on, but, um, regardless, yeah. I, and, and, and that's a, that's a point that's got to be driven home. Okay. That asexuality isn't somebody that doesn't have sex or that wouldn't have sex, but they're not somebody that necessarily feels sexual attraction. Okay. If, I, if I'm summing that up accurately. Um, and this was, I watched this documentary years ago and talked about it on Sovereign Tech. There is a documentary called Asexuality. I think that was, that was the name of it. Um, and it was, and I know I talked about this on the episode, but Rob's clarification hasn't make sense because 
in that documentary, you had like the lead guy in it who ran like that asexuality forum and everything. And you found out like they did like, you know, at the end of documentaries as they do, because sometimes documentaries take years to make. And so at the end of a documentary, they'll often give like a update of years later, right? After the documentary has finally been finished. Um, and in that they brought up that the guy like is having sex. Is he no longer asexual? Oh no, 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 it, it's not, it's not that. And even at the time I might've thought that, but it's not that. Um, it's yeah, the guy is having sex now with somebody that he loves because just cause you don't feel sexual attraction doesn't mean that you don't feel love, right? I mean, sex can be a major part of love and sexual attraction can be a major part of love, but then love just like sexuality, just like humanity is so dynamic that you can't really, you know, you can't pin it down to one thing. In fact, that speaks very, uh, very much of, if you listen to the opening audio that I put in episode 358, um, was it the 16 hour work week, the opening audio there with Buckminster Fuller, where he's, you know, basically saying like the more, in fact, it's very foundationalist in that the more you try to understand something, the further away you get from the truth. <laughs> and he was kind of pointing at that, that, that like the more questions you answer, there ends up being even more questions. Uh, like the, the questions themselves seem to appear exponentially. Um, and that anyway, it was interesting. Listen to that audio if you, if you haven't, but love is just one of those things that, yeah, I don't know if we're ever going to completely quantify or understand. Um, and in fact, I think that's a failure on a lot of, especially Silicon Valley's part is that they think they can fucking quantify everything when, you know, that just might not be possible because we have limited senses. You understand? Um, and we know there's things that, that happen more or less outside of our senses, right? UV, things like this, but I mean, you know, you can see the effects, but we can't actually see the action so much now with our own senses anyway. So regardless, you know, there are mysteries and there probably always will be mysteries. Uh, but my, all of this is to say that love expresses itself in many, many ways, romantic love expresses, you know, that, that, that kind of that deepest of loves can express itself in so many different ways. And sexual attraction does not have to be central to that. Okay. It's just different. That's all. So I hope that made sense what I had to say there, but I, I'm really glad he brought that up. Now let's get to his second point. Uh, the other thought that occurred to while listening to the story about the, about the hacked ring camera is quote, why aren't these companies selling internet of targets? Sorry, I meant things. <laughs> He says, uh, promoting good security practices when you set the device up. I don't just mean forcing you to use 2FA either. Uh, for one, they could inform the customer about the risks involved with using their products. Another thing, a list of uh, uh, compromised credentials from the many major data breaches over the years is freely available on the internet. They could easily cross-check that list with the credentials uh, you're using to set up the device. LastPass already does this. Hell, why not partner with companies like LastPass and YubiKey and package those solutions with the device? Anyway, love you both and look forward to hanging uh, more or hearing more of you together on uh, Sovereign Tech soon. So, yeah, same love to you, brother. Um, yeah, I mean, he just raises a great point. Like, absolutely. They're, this is this is totally what they should be doing. The thing is, is that. I mean, and, and I know he knows the reasons why I'm not saying anything shocking here. This is absolutely, he's totally right. This is absolutely what they should do. And he's right. LastPass does it. Firefox does it. Firefox has a whole thing set up where, you know, it will verify, uh, it'll look into like just the email that you use for your Firefox account. Is this email a part of any other breaches? And it lets you know, uh, and so on. I mean, these are great services to have out there. They are, they're totally free. They're a thing. They don't do that. And they don't 
And I think the reason also that they don't set up two-factor authentication right away is because they, there, I, I can only believe that there is so much advertising and marketing magic being done just to convince you to buy one of these things. I mean, what did it take to get you to want to put a camera facing your bed in your room? What the hell? Like, like, like what, how many mental leaps do, do you have to like, like cajole someone into doing to where they think that that's a good goddamn idea? I get it. It was for the dog, but y- y- I think you get what I mean. And so I think the concern is, is that any friction that you put in place in setting up, uh, like say the ring camera, any friction is going to cause, could cause two possibilities. Maybe they'll deal with the friction because they want it that bad. Maybe, but that's, that, that's what I'm saying is that, I don't know. I think any friction could make people think twice because what could happen is, is they could say, oh, this is too complex. I'm not going to bother setting it up and they just leave it in a box or the hell they might even return it to the store. Or what could happen is, is what I just said is that as they're going through the friction and as they're being alarmed to what it could do, they could be like, oh shit, I'm not going to set this up. I'm not putting this in my bedroom. I'm not putting this in my house. And then they do, then same result. They go and return it to the store or they leave it in the box and maybe they regift it to somebody. I don't know. I hope they don't do that. But any friction will get in the way of the person doing something that is antithetical to their human, to their health, frankly. And really to their peace of mind. So, so yeah, they can't, Amazon, Ring, they can't do this. I know Rob knows this, but I'm just saying, I'm, I'm saying to everybody else, they can't do this. And this is true, not just for Ring and Amazon. This is true for any product along these lines. They have to make the process as simple as possible. And they cannot tell you of the dangers because if they do, that is going to create friction that can make people change their minds and maybe make the right decision, which is don't do it. Don't set it up. And that sucks. You know, I mean, and, and this is, I mean, that, that kind of speaks to the whole tyranny of the default, right? I mean, all this default settings and everything, people will generally just run with it and they don't think twice about it. And the less friction that there is, the less opportunity there is for them to think twice about it. That's what this is all about. Every security researcher, every security officer at, at a tech company, we all know, we all know that proper security is not easy, nor can it be. It cannot be. Okay. Um, I mean, even look, look, even with squirrel, which is very, very easy, granted it's very easy, but for it to be the more perfect, and I say more perfect, not, you know, what's hundred percent, but you get my point, more perfect security solution, certainly than passwords. There is a high risk of you have your private key, right? You have that one password that you've got to lock away and you've got to take care of, or you got to remember or whatever. And I don't recommend doing that because who knows what could happen to your brain at any given point. Okay. There's that one, you know, string of characters you've got to know to be able to, to access your account, you know, uh, uh, in the future, if you lose something or uninstall or something gets deleted, whatever. Right. So there is a high risk part of this. Now you could say it's very simple. Well, I just make sure I don't lose that. Sure. It is very simple, but in comparison to how people handle their username and password information in general, it is high risk by comparison, right? 
And that's my point is that security done right. If it's easy, there has to be some high risk scenario for it to still be done right. Okay. Um, or, I mean, this is true for some Bitcoin wallets where you just, you got to remember that password, but fuck, you got to remember that password or, you know, uh, you know, whatever phrase. Otherwise, if you forget it, it's gone whenever you delete it on accident or something like that. And I mean, again, that's the high risk part. But, you know, otherwise it just has to be very complex. If there isn't a high risk element, then it just has to be very complex to do the security right. Okay. You can't have easy security. There, there, there has to be either high risk or some kind of friction. And both of those things are antithetical to, well, really growth of any product or service, right? Because I mean, the dum-dums can't handle it. They can't handle the risk or they can't handle the friction. And so they just walk away and I'd say, good. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'd rather them learn that no security is hard and you're going to have to learn some things and you're going to have, you know, it's going to be a little complex, but you can do it. You're a big boy, you know, and whatever and, and, and go. So, you know, anytime that these companies are talking about, yeah, we've made security easy. That is a lie. Generally, that's a lie unless there's some high risk element uh, involved. But, there, you know, other than squirrel, that's usually not true. There's always some kind of backup and that effectively means you don't really have security because that backup's being controlled by whatever company. This is true for all kinds of things, including even things that I'm a fan of like Telegram, you know, others. I mean, there, there's concerns to be had here. Okay. So anyway, uh, great points. Rob is always brings on the brilliance uh, and I, I really appreciate it. And like I said, we'll probably read that and cover some of that in a future sovereign tech uh, as well. But I just wanted to, uh, I wanted to get that out there. I really appreciate anyone using like the comment section on Podbean. Uh, it's very, A, it's convenient for me. Um, you know, B, I like it. I, you know, I just, I like having the engagement, of course, most of all, but because uh, it's, I mean, it's just beautiful to talk to people. So, all right. Let's move on to uh, to the next question here. I actually got a really funny one about about a cat, but I don't think I'm going to be able to get to that one this week. But I've got it saved here. Uh, we there is a part two actually to uh, uh, you know to mana and marijuana that we talked about last week. Not going to be able to get into that here. And of course, we had a part two also on genetically modifying humans for outer space that I said I wanted to get into. But like I said, uh, I think I'd like to have Ellen on. Actually, Ellen would be great for both of those. Uh, so we will. <laughs> she's woo. Uh, the um sorry pardon me folks the uh oh uh, anyway she gave me the the the, the horns and um, you know the metal horns but that's not all <laughs> okay uh uh yeah you'll be on next time right ellen you're yeah yeah, yeah okay all right so so for the next q a we'll uh we'll do that Whew, getting hot in here all right uh let's <laughs> Uh, also got another great question about Satan. Look at that. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll save all of those, but here we've got a really, we've got a fairly lengthy question. Uh, and I know I'm already 40 minutes deep, so I don't want to, I don't want to go too long with this, but this is an important one to get into. In fact, really has a couple of points. And so maybe, well, maybe we'll save half of this and that'd be fun for Ellen to get on as well, but let's, uh, let's start reading it. And this comes from, uh, this question comes from, well, the person I was mentioning earlier, uh, briefly, but, um, It'd be Jim Jesus, of course, of the Lulberts podcast and so much more. Um, he, uh, <laughs> so a good chunk of this, there's part of it that has to do with recycling. Um, but the first half has to do with entertainment. And we've been talking a lot about entertainment, a lot of the streaming services and everything on Sovereign Tech, as well as within Q&As. Again, folks, 
You send in the questions. You control what I talk about on this show. If you don't want me to talk about entertainment, flood me with tech questions. I'm happy to answer them, okay? Or whatever you, or if you want to talk philosophical stuff, whatever, I don't care. Okay, flood me with them. Bring them on, and, and I will I will get to them. Um, but he, you know, I mean, I get a lot of, you believe, and, and I've talked about this. Uh, I, I get a lot of shit for a lot of my comments about the entertainment industry. Um, like I said, I've lost uh, patrons over uh, over my comments about Netflix, uh, you know, because, I, again, I call Netflix cultists and, well, people get hot and bothered about it. And, uh, gee, I, I like I said, I think that kind of proves my point, um, among other things. And just that I hate, you know, I think modern entertainment is has all gone to shit and blah, blah, blah. You know, I mean, you, you know my take you, if you've listened for any length of time. Uh, on a lot of that. So I, I get a lot of crap for that. And, but most of the time the arguments aren't really cogent. Uh, it's very clearly, I mean, you could say everything's opinion, but it's very clearly, I mean, opinion, calling it opinion would be, would be a kindness of how some of these people respond. Uh, but Jim Jesus, who is someone, first off, the reason I, 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 I want to read his comments on the matter first off is he's someone who I know knows what he's talking about. Okay, like like he he definitely has pedigree when it comes to uh, to entertainment, and I and I respect and appreciate that, and I know he does a lot of reviews on his show uh, with other people, um, and which which you know dynamite stuff, whether you agree with him or not. So there's that, um, but also he, you know he brings up a a very you know reason very reasoned points, and there are points here where believe it or not, I'm going to agree with him. So why don't we dive into it? Okay. Uh, I don't know if we'll get to all the recycling part in this one, uh, all of which was also very interesting and some parts of it, which I completely agree with on him or yeah, completely agree with, uh, with him on it. But, um, all right, let's do it. Anyway, enough talking. (laughs) Let's read the, let's read the question. So here we go. I keep hearing you complain about the modern state of film. Yes, sure. Disney is just oversaturating the market with mediocrity. Yes, they are. <laughs> Thank you for recognizing that as well. Um, but you paint like all we got last year was The Rise of Skywalker, Captain Marvel, and Dumbo. 2019 was probably one of the best years in film we've had in a while. And not only did no Disney film get my top 10 this year, it couldn't be put in my honorable mentions. We got, uh, we got three horror films that elevated the bar for horror out of the cheesy jump scare factories uh, into true art like Us, Midsummer, and uh, the number one slot, The Lighthouse. We got a really fresh... All right, well, hold on. Before I read the next part. I, no, maybe I should read the, the next part. I am not... Let me, let me be clear on this. I'm not disagreeing with that previous statement about horror films. Not disagreeing for, for a second on that. All right, now let's get into the next part. I'll explain what I mean by that, but I don't disagree with them there. We got a really fresh murder mystery, uh, Knives Out, that proved Ryan Johnson can make a good movie and can revive a dead film genre. Uh, I mean, I'll get your point out there, but I'm not going to make any comments on Ryan Johnson and and Knives Out. I I just couldn't care less. Uh, So anyway, we got Adam Sandler making a good movie for once with Uncut Gems. We got a return to form Scorsese Mafia film with The Irishman. Uh, Speaking of true stories, we got uh, one with really strong anarchist overtones with Richard Jewell. Stallion breaking in on that. Yeah, um, I have not seen this movie yet, but um, uh, man, Olivia Wilde... Hey, you know, like I've, what I've heard about this film, what I understand about this film, and of course the story it's based on and so on, uh, looks fantastic. 
Uh, and, and so not, not going to argue with you on that one either. Keep going. Jojo Rabbit was really awesome and fun if you don't mind laughing at the absurdity of the Nazis. Uh, we got two good and refreshing biopics that make the, or that broke the mold with Rocket Man and Dolomite Is My Name. Shadow, though, was released in China uh, in 2018. It didn't get an American release until 2019, so it still counts. Uh, was one of the most visually impressive films I've ever seen in my life. Um, I've seen that as well. I don't disagree with you. Also, Tarantino gave us his ninth, uh, ninth film that didn't disappoint as Hateful Eight did for a lot of people. I didn't even have to mention Joker, Shazam, and Alita Battle Angel. Wait, goddammit. Uh, Stallion breaking in. Of course, I did my reviews for 2019 and Alita Battle Angel was, was that my movie of the year? I mean, if it wasn't, I know it was an honorable mention. Uh, that takes top marks. I thought that was a tremendous film. I don't disagree with you. Uh, but it was, it was an odd person out, right? But let's continue. Oh, well, those were fucking great, too. I should mention we got Cats and The Fanatic, which were solidly in the So Bad It's Good field, if you're into that. Uh, 2019 wasn't 1939, but it's up there with 94 uh, and 84. So he's got another part to the entertainment question, and I'll get into that. But I want to I I talk about this first bit here, okay, this first paragraph. And, and thank you. I'm so honored, you know, that you wrote all this to me. Um, I probably should be more particular, okay, in what I am saying when I say that, uh, when I complain about the modern state of film, because in general, I'm really complaining about genre films, not horror. See, I'm, I'm not a horror guy, but I really understand that in the past few years, not just 2019, as I understand it, that some of the greatest horror films ever have been made. I mean, like it's, it's nay a renaissance going on with horror film right now. And I understand, I understand that I don't speak to it and I don't even like, like horror films other than, you know, the Friday, the 13th series, or maybe something Rob Zombie made or, uh, you know, or like the Freddy movies or something like that. Like, I just don't think about it. Like it, it doesn't, it doesn't even like compute in my head. Um, and I'm not going to say it's a failing on my part, but certainly that's n- yeah, like uh, you're right. You're totally right about that. That that you are getting some of the best horror movies ever. And if you count them in, you know, t- 2019 in film, then 2019 was a great year. I'm not going to disagree with you on that. And yes, we did have Alita: Battle Angel. Uh, I'm not so much on the biopics, uh, but it's not to say that the biopics are bad as far as films go. You know, just looking at them as abstract as films in the abstract. Uh, I have a huge issue with biopics, especially musical biopics in general. Like, like this is, I don't know. It's the, the industry aspect that, that I really, that I hate about it. So I guess to, to sum up, okay. With, with the modern state of film is that any movie that has an insane budget where it has to make it back. Okay. So this is speaking of sci-fi fantasy comic book films, etc. Okay. Those, that's when I, I mean, horror film is technically a genre film, uh, or horror is technically a genre film would, would fit in that range. And if you're a genre fan, usually that includes that you like horror as well. I understand that. Um, but my concern is, is that there's no risks being taken in, uh, you know, special effects, extravaganzas, or in movies that require a budget. That's where the risk taking has stopped. In movies where, you know, as long as it brings in, uh, you know, 40 million, right? Uh, there's all kinds of crazy risks being taken today 
and all, I mean, even even in recent years, uh, Professor Marston and the Wonder Woman. I mean, like little films are doing incredible things, very unconventional and very. Uh, I know people hate this word, but I'll just say it. I don't necessarily mean in the political context, but culturally, a progressive mo- shift is happening in those movies, and I think that's great. But again, you know, films. We just we don't have the experimental films like we with science fiction say that we had, uh, you know, in the eighties or even like the later seventies. Um, you know, I mean, you're just not you know Copernicus one. I mean, a lot of these other things. You're just you're not twenty ten. You're not getting any really any of that. Minus, of course, I did talk about uh, Annie Ara which is more or less a 2019 film um, as well. Now, to speak to uh, Shadow. So that's another weird thing that's happening, right? And I have talked about this. What was the movie The Great Wall with Matt Damon? Where there are a lot of American movies that are being made where they don't expect to make money in America. They know it is to make bank in the global market and America is an afterthought and Americans watch these movies like the great wall and they go, what the fuck was that? Like that, that was a weird ass film. I don't even like the narrative structure or float. That's because it's not American. I mean, it's made in America. It's made by Hollywood, but it's specifically, and it's big budget, but it's specifically meant for other parts of the world. And you have to grasp how those cultures, you know, like those, how those cultures appreciate film, what they're used to in film to really get what's going on there. Okay, just like some people will never understand anime. And then there's other Americans who totally got it the instant that they saw it, right? So, I, like, I get that, okay? And that there are great things being made for, uh, I mean, I, I think, I did a review of Great Wall. I, I, I seem to remember, you know, really, really enjoying it. And maybe it was because it wasn't American-esque film, you know, that, that actually made me appreciate it. So you raise a great point. I, I could use a lot more, and this will be true for the recycling part of this that I don't think we'll get to this week uh, of this question. Um, a little more precision in my point, in my arguments, in my language uh, would, would do well to, to explain where I'm coming from. Because you're absolutely right. Like I said, some of the best horror movies ever made have been made in the past decade and even in the past couple of years. Uh, no argument from me on that, even though it's not my genre, I understand. And there are people whose opinion I trust that are loving the shit out of this stuff. Um, but my points are more specifically towards movies where major money is on the line. No one's taking risks anymore. Risks are being taken in other places where, again, if a movie only has to make 40 million, I mean, that's easy to do, even if you just get some foreign investors on that shit. Okay. And that's, that's all on the business side. But when, you know, we're talking about these movies and, and you could say, well, why would they, you know, take the risk and spend $200 million? Um, because, I mean, that's how the great movies have been made is that you do take the fucking risk, you know, and, and you're like, well, this is like, I mean, imagine just, just goddamn imagine if Warner Brothers didn't take a risk on the Matrix. That was an expensive movie at the time, $80 million. There was a new property. You had no idea. I mean, Joel Silver was, you know, the producer. He was fortunately in the business for so long, you know, he could raise money from the fucking dead. Okay. And so he was able to get this greenlit because whatever he fortunately saw what the matrix could be. Right. But that was absolutely, that was 100%. That was 120% risk. There was no guarantee of what that movie was going to do. And that movie was nuts. 
Like, like we couldn't, I, I've said this so many times, the line that Morpheus gives in that movie, where he says, nobody can be told what the matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. People, you, people don't get it. They don't understand the importance of that statement because when I try and believe me, I'm a guy who very much the, even as a teenager, when that movie came out, someone who thinks very much out of the box, I had a science fiction education, uh, you know, that, that would rival most people in their sixties, even when I was 16. Okay. Cause that's all I did. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was, it was that way. If I couldn't explain it to people, it's because we just, we didn't have that in our zeitgeist yet, you know, and there was no words for it. And you just, you had to go and see it to, and then what's happened after the fact is the, is it's the proof in the pudding is that now people use language from that movie or examples from that movie to explain things going on today. Because again, before it, you couldn't explain it until, you know, until you, you, you really saw it. Right. I mean, that's just how it was. So that's what I mean is that Hollywood just is not taking, they are not allowing for everything. I mean, and, and this is my, this point that I'm about to make is still valid almost across the board, except for maybe with horror and stuff like that, because with those movies, I mean, this is, oh boy, this is such a big conversation and I want to get to the second part of it. Okay. But everything is getting focus group to death. Everything. Okay. I mean, even horror films, I mean, actually, believe it or not, horror films was very much the original genre that would get focus grouped. And it would get focus group to make sure like, okay, uh, you know, is, is, do they have to cut out a bunch of shit so that it can be an R movie, you know, <laughs> which is ironic, but I mean, horror fortunately kept focus groups for a, a, a purpose that made some degree of sense. Now it's not about, you know, okay, is this too extreme? Blah, 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 whatever. What do we have to rate this now? Focus groups are about, okay, what's going to offend people. What's going to get people riled up on Twitter sometimes to do so in, in a, quote unquote, positive fashion, as in they want marketing around it. So they want to infuriate people or the opposite direction, you know, what, whatever the, the, the case may be. I mean, everything is, again, it's all fucking focus grouped to death. So that's where modern cinema has really fallen apart. Okay. I mean, again, if it's a movie that only has to do 20, 40 million, something like that, you know, to, to be profitable, um, I think risks still get taken there, you know, and, 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 because again, it's so easy to make that kind of money today. It really is, especially with, again, with foreign markets, foreign investors and so on. Um, but when it's, it's the big stuff, you know, or the remakes of, you know, beloved uh, franchises and things like this, they have to do so much crazy money that again, it gets focus group to death. And basically the movie ends up saying nothing, you know, uh, Oh boy. Or there's just, there's just such dumb, what, what are they making the female fight club? I mean, I'm not opposed to that, but you know, that's not getting made because somebody thought that that was necessary or necessarily a good idea. You know, that's totally getting made. I mean, that's just that that's Hollywood stupidity, you know? So yeah, there's a lot of great stuff still getting made. I mean, I don't on the TV end, I, on the TV end. Now everything, again, this speaks to more of that genre stuff. When it's a TV show that has any kind of budget, like special effects budget or thing like, or, you know, things like this, um, everybody thinks that they have to be the next game of Thrones and that's killing. For example. Okay. I mean, but, but yeah, it's killing television. 
Um, I mean, and, and I even I even leveled that claim against the Mandalorian. As great as that was, um, I got annoyed by, uh, well, Star Wars in general. Everything just, even, you know, Star Trek, everything's trying to be Game of Thrones today, and that's terrible. Uh, one of my favorite science fiction shows of all time started in the late 90s, only went three seasons. It was actually produced by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, was uh, uh, First Wave with, uh, with uh, uh, Sebastian Spence. And... Right. That was Sebastian Spence. I can. Yeah, there's there's a few Sebastians out there and I get I can sometimes get them confused. Um, but Sebastian Spence, I think, was his was his name. Anyway. It's a very simple show. It's about like aliens, uh, you know, kind of transmitting their consciousness to Earth and they want to take over the Earth in these three waves. OK, not not an expensive show to make at all. There's a reason because it was made on the sci-fi channel, which they barely had a budget at the time. There's a reason they were able to pull it off for three seasons. Part of it was contractual, but the other part of it was that again, it wasn't an expensive show to make. Okay. Um, even though it had to do with an alien invasion and so on. And, and it's a brilliant, brilliant, creepy, sexy, everything you want kind of show. Right. And still science fiction. But now, you know, nobody is even interested in that sort of thing because everything's got to fucking be Game of Thrones. You know, so again, this speaks more to my point that a lot of what I'm saying has to do with a lot of genre fiction or a lot of genre shows and genre movies, not counting horror. OK, because you can let's let's be. And, and if you want to correct me on this, if you think I'm wrong about it, you can tell me. But I, I most horror films aren't expensive. You don't need 200 million to make a horror movie. You can do one for 200 million, but I mean, even today, you know, while, because part of the problem here is that it's sort of like Robert Meyer Burnett talks about how we live in a post geek singularity, uh, world, basically he's saying everybody's into science fiction. Now everybody's into fantasy. Now everybody's into comic books now. And he, and as far as TV and movies, he's not wrong. Okay. No one's actually like, I don't think that there are actually that many people who read science fiction books. I don't think there are that many people that, that many more people that actually read comic books today. I don't believe that. All right. And we know, I mean, Marvel's business problems and DCs and so on, uh, to, to prove that point. But as far as like what gets put on the screen and what's easy to consume, yeah, there's a lot more people that are into that. Uh, and maybe horror audiences have grown to some degree. I, I'm, I'm sure there's some metrics to that. But horror is still kind of a niche genre, would I, I think, or genre, I think would be fair to say. Um, so I don't really see where horror films, because my point being, you can't, you can't make an Avengers Endgame of horror and have it do a billion dollars. Is there any horror movie that could ever do a billion dollars? Probably not. Okay, so you know, horror can stay fairly pure because they know, yeah, there's money to be made and there's a hardcore audience out there to sell it to. Okay. But again, they're, they're probably not going to get the massive budgets, you know, that are, that are going to allow for that to get pulled off. Um, unless it's a prestige film, kind of like Pan's Labyrinth, um, or, or some like that. But those also, I think, get made for other purposes that have to do with Hollywood cults. But that's a completely different conversation, uh, you know, really to get into. So, okay, let so you're not wrong. Like I, I, I hear you and I'll, I'll try to be more particular in the future of what I'm talking about, but mainly I'm talking about, again, outside of horror, John, you know, genre film and genre television where, where all of this failing is coming from. 
you know, I mean, as far as sitcoms and romantic comedies and all that stuff, I'm sure some of the best stuff's getting made. You know, like I, I, I don't, I don't doubt that for a second. But then also, you know, those aren't movies that I really care about or you know generally go to see unless it's actually Love Actually. That what, what a great film. All right, but let, let's go on to the next. Um, I disagree with your proposal that film plot uh, needs to be further explained by extensive reading and other mediums. This was one of many, many, many reasons alongside Night was so bad. There was a whole lot, of course, that's the book, uh, the book by J. J. Neal Shulman. They made a movie out of it a few years ago, even had Kevin Sorbo in it, who's kind of quasi-libertarian, and oh boy, anyway, <laughs> that was bad. Um, there was a whole lot that wasn't explained, and when J. Neal Shulman was confronted with this, he just said that it was for people who read the book and it explains everything. Film is a contained art form. Sure, you can have a series of films that build from previous entries, or one like El Camino, which closes the story of a very popular TV series. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, or like uh, Serenity, right, for Firefly. Um, but they should work within the initial offerings. That's not to say you can't have nods or side plots that go into more detail in extended media, but for the extended media to be essential uh, to that is a terrible idea. At least with the case of Breaking Bad and El Camino, it's pretty straightforward that you need to consume to get a better understanding, just watch the series. Whereas Star Wars, there's enough stuff for me to read, listen to, and watch that I could spend the next three years catching up and still not have all that I need to go into The Rise of Skywalker. Stanley Breaking, you're not wrong on that timeline. <laughs> you could go that long. Reading on. Nor do I even know where to begin on what relevant media I need to understand this stuff. Just because Marvel is now going to do the same with Disney Plus content doesn't make it a good or wise move, which is why when they announced this, it wasn't well received, which is fine for me because Endgame was a nice bookend for me with the MCU. I'm fine with nods, references, even doing something like Rogue One uh, did to, new, to A New Hope and some extended media hashtag out things mentioned that the details aren't instrumental for you to understand. There's no way I'm going to read anything called a technical manual or glossary to understand a movie that's coming out. I'll just skip it and watch something else. Um, okay. So he has, he has a second, like he gets into a completely different subject on the next part and it's a great one. And I want to get to that, but I'm going to save that for the next episode. But I want to talk about this. Um, I get what you mean that it's a bad idea. The thing is, is that like, I'm, I'm okay with Hollywood, a experimenting or this being a new type of, of, of media. Now it probably makes sense for, I mean, this, this is getting into a big conversation because I think this isn't exactly, I mean, multimedia has been tried since hell, the eighties and nineties. Okay. Um, I agree with you about alongside night, you know, with J. Neil Shulman, a great book, the movie, what, it, you know, talk about flying turds. It's one of them. Okay. Um, I mean, I really did like the book. I, I, I thought, especially, I mean, there's, there's so few books that, that even try to be as ethically sound as that one does. And I thought it was, you know, it, it certainly tried. Um, I, and I know the problems with Jane, Neal Shulman as a person too. <laughs> not, we're not even going there. Okay. But I hear you on this. Okay. You're not wrong, but here, I, I don't, it's not, it's not an either or it's not zero sum. Okay. Like, I think that there can be, uh, wasn't there even a show like on the sci-fi channel that was the, the TV show was attached to the game and you kind of had to be into both for the show to make sense. It didn't last long because I think it was an idea well ahead of its time, but you know, we live in a world. Okay. You got, we got to understand this. We live in a world where I think the average, at least in America and actually through much of the quote unquote Western world, 
The average person consumes most of their media on their laptop or maybe even on their smartphone. Now, especially if it's their laptop, that is a screen that is not meant to just do one thing at one time. Maybe it'd be better if it did, but that's not what I'm bringing up here. And so multimedia is inherent in the very devices that people consume content with today. And so the time is more right than, you know, it's not, it's not the nineties when a lot of this was tried where a game would be attacked or even the aughts where like, I don't know, the, uh, the game for, uh, dark angel, right? James Cameron's dark angel. Great game for the PlayStation two. It was attached and was canon and had elements in it that made sense and actually broadened the, uh, the, the understanding of the television show, which was a great television show, by the way. Uh, I think it was true for the alias game as well. Like that, that, that was kind of a similar affair. So my, my point is, is that, so it, that didn't necessarily work out then. And also, I mean, this was experimented then also with the matrix, which we previously mentioned, right? The game enter the matrix. What a ballsy ass move you know, to, to make, to spend massive parts of your budget on making cutscenes for a fucking video game, because there weren't that many, not as many gamers as there are now, you know, at that, that time back in Oh three and whatever, that was very gutsy. And I applaud the, that, that kind of guts, but the world wasn't necessarily ready at that time. Now, I don't think that's, that's not true anymore because now again, the way the world consumes or much of the world consumes much of its content is on a device designed to do multiple things at once. And it's designed to be what you watch videos on, what you listen to books on, what you read books on, what you play games on are all the same device for many people. Uh, even your console, your average console is now, you know, is also what you can watch YouTube on or, you know, it handles your Netflix or whatever else. So we now have devices that match the concept of multimedia storytelling. Okay. Where it's something that's in a book and then it's in a movie and then it's in a TV show and then it's in a game and then it's, you know, in all these things. Now, if you are, here's, here's where I think you're right is that, and I understand this and I understand why this hasn't necessarily been tried. If to understand something happening, that is a major motion picture release in movie theaters for the average person. If you have to do things extraneous to that, to get what's happening on the screen, that does seem to not make sense, right? Because it's not convenient for other people to jump on that. And, and, and I totally get your, I, I understand that me being into technical manuals and things like this are like, that's, it's not an oddity. Okay. Because otherwise they wouldn't make them because they wouldn't sell if it was that odd, but it's not for everybody. Like I, I, I really, really get that. And I understand that there is a negative reaction to having to watch the TV shows for what happens in a Marvel movie that comes out in theaters for it to make sense. I think the real solution here isn't that this sort of thing shouldn't be done, but that the movie should be available. If you want to go see it on a big screen, fine, go see it on a big screen, but it should at the same time, I think be, and, and of course, Hollywood's been experimenting with this for over a decade. But it should also be available, and even longer than that if you count hotel rooms, but it should also be available on, say, you know, a movie coming out in theaters should should be available on Disney Plus as well, right? That would solve, I, I think, a lot of this to where, okay, it's all in one 
one house. It's all under one roof, I should say. It's all under one roof. Um, this is why I applauded like uh, the Stargate Command streaming service, where the books, the comics, uh, everything, and then the, the TV shows and the movies, everything was in one app. And so you were almost incentivized and it made sense and it was convenient for you to take in everything that was Stargate in one spot on one device. You didn't even have to get up from your chair to try and, you know, to go read a, a visual dictionary and then go see a movie, right? You didn't even have to move. And that's where it can kind of all come together and work. All right. Now, I mean, some people might appreciate the opposite and having to put in the extra work of, yeah, I got to go and buy the book. And like, you know, there's, there's, there's a joy in the hunt of taking in everything of, you know, the, your favorite franchise or, you know, fictional universe. Um, and, and I can respect that too. I mean, I've certainly felt that, but I hear you. And with Star Wars, you know, Star Wars was a thing before multimedia was really a thing as we understand it today. So to have to understand all that stuff to appreciate Star Wars in general. Uh, yeah, I mean, in that sense, I can, I think you're, I think what you're saying makes sense. Okay. Um, in that, well, we, you shouldn't have to. Right, because you might be a Star Wars fan long before. I mean, there's people who are massive Star Wars fans that probably have never touched a computer or don't own one or whatever, and they never want to, you know. And, and is, it, is it fair for them to, or is it a good idea for those massive fans to have to suddenly, you know, jump into the 21st century? Yeah, I mean, I, I get the argument, you know, that, that, that it's not. Like, I, I can understand the, the, the argument for that. But my flip side... To that is that Star Wars, and I've I've brought this up on Tie Fighter Renegades. I've brought this up on other Q and As. Star Wars has never, or the reason why Star Wars is still around, and why there are such passionate people about Star Wars, most of the really passionate people, and the reason that they can sell books like the Visual Dictionaries, or why they can even sell novels and comic books, is because for a long time, Star Wars was not movies, for a very long time. Star Wars, and, and, and I would argue in a post-Tross, right? The Rise of Skywalker, Tross. In a post-Tross world, <laughs> we're using a lot of post stuff here. In a post-Tross world, um, it, it doubled down for me, you know, a, a post-sequel trilogy world. It doubled down for me as a Star Wars fan that Star Wars' greatness, I mean, yeah, the original trilogy is always going to be the bar, but... Otherwise, Star Wars' longevity is not those three movies. Star Wars' endurance is not those three movies. Star Wars' passion, the heart of Star Wars, is not those three movies. The heart of Star Wars, what makes people nuts about Star Wars, is everything outside of them. From the role-playing games, to the Clone Wars, to uh, TIE Fighter, you know, to the video games, the, the great video games, and there's plenty of them, uh, to, you know, the novels, you know, whatever, the, the Shadows of the Empire, the comic books, Dark Empire, Crimson Empire, go down the list, or even the new stuff, even though I would argue I really haven't read much in the new canon that compares to the old EU. But, that, regardless, high bars there, okay? But, my point being is that Star Wars really has always been about everything outside of the movies. Because that's what carried the torch for so long for so many people. So I see your point. Like I, I, and I really get you. But at the same time, 
this is, I think, and for the MCU, the MCU was built on top of movies, you know. So for it to want to add more now, that that's debatable as well, you know. But this is something I want to exist. Would it be better if it was done with new franchises? Probably. You know, that way people could get in on the ground floor. You knew what you were getting into. You knew that this was part of the program. But let's be clear here, Disney was selling it this way too, right? Disney's like, oh yeah, we're rebooting the canon and everything's going to matter. They, Disney basically goaded us in 2013 when they bought Star Wars, when they bought Lucasfilm, that, okay, if you want to experience Star Wars, you've got to take it all in. That's basically what they were telling us. It was a marketing ploy, yes. We know that now for sure. Okay, even though it seems like they're starting to tighten up the ship now that Rise of Skywalker is finally out there. But, you know, I mean, this is what they told us they, they want us to do. And, 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 well, we did it. and But then there wasn't, like, a payoff so much for it. And maybe that'll change now. But regardless, um, I say all of this, you know, and I hear your disagreement. And I totally understand where you're coming from. But I think that this is a very valid way to build a franchise and to engage a franchise. I understand if it's, you know, like franchises that have been around before this kind of multimedia push was done that, you know, it doesn't feel right. I get that. Okay. But at the same time, like, I think it's okay to do it this way. I think it's a very interesting way. And there are people who are hungry for this, this kind of uh, franchise engagement, this kind of multimedia engagement. I'm one of them, you know, I'm, I'm for it. Okay. Because I want my, well, yeah, I mean, I just, you know, you feel like you put work into it with a lot of these things. And when you've been with it for years or even decades, uh, you want payoff, you know, for, for your hard work and hard-earned money and, and all that. And I mean, I think we all kind of want that, right? You know, we want that, that sense of accomplishment for what we put in. And you can say, well, it's just a fictional universe. Sure. But the, you know, the need and sense is still kind of the same, even if it's not at the same level of importance as, I don't know, however many zeros in your bank account, which... That's even a whole other subject as far as how important that is. So, yeah, I, I get you. I, I get what you're saying. But also, I, I don't think it's zero sum. I don't think that things have to be made your way, nor do things have to be made my way. But the options of either getting it your way for whatever franchise wants to do it that way and whatever franchise wants to do it the Star Wars way, they can do it the Star Wars way, right? And if they want to do it the old-fashioned way, they can do it the old-fashioned way. Um is there the problem that more and more people trying to do it the Star Wars way, where it's all multimedia, that that's going to incentivize because the amount of money made, that that's going to incentivize other companies to do things the new way, and the old way is going to get ignored, and, you know, there's a, there's a, a certain set of moviegoers that that's going to piss off? Yeah, that could be a problem. I, I, can, I can recognize that. Um, but, again, this is... Star Wars' longevity for the the fans that really love it, this is what it's it's always been multimedia. Ever since Return of the Jedi dropped. It's it's been multimedia ever since then. So I don't think this is necessarily anything new for Star Wars, but again, I really do see your argument. I I, I do see where, where you're going with that. Now, I've already gone an hour and twenty minutes. So we're even gonna skip the album of the week. We're we're just we're <laughs> I'll drop it there. If uh, if Jim has any other comments he wants to make on that or any response, feel free to send it in. I love this kind of conversation. Um uh, anyway, 
So we'll wrap this baby up because this Q&A has gone a while. We went down roads I don't think we planned on. But this, that, but that's it for this episode. Uh, new Sovereign Tech to come out. Of course, remember the new days are Mondays, even though sometimes I've dropped them on a Sunday just for the, just for the giggles. But uh, you're guaranteed on Mondays uh, you know, from now on. So 2020 is going to be a hell of a year for Sovereign Tech. So many exciting things going on. And we'll wrap this baby up. I will see all of you woo, on the other side.